there was just this big, bright, purplish white light that just filled me like uh, like an alien, you know, was abducting, like a spaceship was going to abduct me, just this bright white consumed me. Uh, all of the muscles in my body constricted. And I just remember hearing a grunt out of my body, like, you know, it was this weirdest sounding grunt um, as my body was just filled with electricity. And then it was gone. And the instant clap of, of thunder uh, was so loud that it was, uh, I'd never heard something like that before. And I just remember thinking that that was close. And then, and then I'm completely out for a minute. I have no idea what's going on. Next thing I remember is that guy is now yelling at me and I am completely covered in rain. I'm looking down and it is pouring rain. And there were a couple of other people in the car that I was driving, the company car, and they didn't get out, but they watched what happened. They saw me get struck by lightning. And when I got back to the vehicle, um, they're like, we just we just saw you get struck by lightning. And I'm like, no way. I'm standing here. I'm alive. What are you talking about? Welcome to the Archipelago Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Morton. Vivian Green once said, Life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. In today's podcast, I had the chance to speak with Lori Grace Bailey, who embraces this idea in many ways. Lori is a storm chaser. An extraordinary photographer, she chases supercell storms and tornadoes in the Midwest, haboobs or sandstorms in the Southwest, and elusive sprites, creating breathtaking photographs and time-lapse images of these incredible phenomena. Her work has appeared in major publications and television outlets, including Backpacker Magazine, and she's a brand ambassador for F-Stop Gear. Lori is a Hispanic trans woman who also dedicates much of her time to elevating artists in the NFT space and is focused on supporting and onboarding women, non-binary, and trans artists into the NFT community. Please enjoy my conversation with Lori Grace Bailey. So Lori, if you could describe what you do in one sentence, how would you do it? Extraordinary. <laughs> one word. <laughs> just, be, just, just because what I love to do is, you know, all of the effort that I put into capturing these shots, you know, really culmin- are the culmination of hundreds to thousands of miles driven and, you know, all of the effort planning, forecasting, just to capture a few minutes of an extraordinary storm. You know, I want to capture the best light, the best lightning bolts, the best, you know, cloud structure, um, and the best landscape if I can. You know, it's all up to Mother Nature, but you know, I really just want to capture something extraordinary. And I use that word quite repetitively. That's a good word. So you are, of course, a storm chaser, a photographer, and you're truly capturing, like you said, some extraordinary moments and creating some extraordinary images. Uh, how the heck did you get into that? <laughs> well, you know, when I was a kid, my mom 
used to take me to the park. You know, going growing up in West Texas, a little border town in West Texas, we had the monsoons. You know, most of the year was your, your typical West Texas, uh, almost a cowboy, you know, type of uh, town, western town, um, where it's dry. The tumbleweeds are, are rolling down the street, you know. Hmm. Um, but uh, during the summer months, the monsoons would kick in, and we'd get these beautiful storms that would come in over the, develop over the mountains and drift into the desert valleys. And there was, there was nothing like that. And my mo- mother would take me to the park with a little bit of time that she had. And we would just watch the, cr- the clouds build up. And, 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 you know, my fascination for weather started there. Um, I actually wanted to chase tornadoes initially right out of high school. I wanted, I was considering going to Texas tech and, and actually studying tornadoes, you know, and, and what, what created them way before, Storm chasing became popular. I, I wanted to do that, but life took me on a different path. And you know, six years ago, I finally was able to to start on another path where I was becoming a photographer, a wedding photographer, portrait photographer. And I soon realized, of course, my my love for for beautiful skies never never went away. And so I had all this great gear, and now I have these you know all of this great gear and these lenses and everything that I was using for weddings, but I could also use them to point them at the sky and capture the immense mm. color and dynamic range that you see when you're actually in front of one of these these monolithic monstrous beasts. Um, so that was kind of how I, I migrated into also chasing storms. And it, there, there's a, a little theme there going there. There's a common theme. Shooting weddings requires you to you you have to be an adrenaline junkie if you're going to shoot <laughs> weddings, and yeah. then on the flip side of that, so during when when wedding season is over and it's storm season, well, I can continue my adrenaline fix by chasing storms. That is too cool, and it's interesting and and amazing that you were able to, you know, have this passion, you know, as a young human, and then and then turn that into something that has really become a living and uh that's you know that's a rare that's a rare thing to to be able to do in this world i think and commendable um but i'm really interested i'm really interested in in the process because because storm chasing i imagine has a lot of logistics involved right like there's there's got to oh, be yeah there's got to be so many steps mm-hmm. before you know, you're there in front of the storm with a camera. So can you tell us a little bit about, I guess, the process and the planning and and everything that goes into that? You know, absolutely. The the entire process to capture an image is, it it starts really, you know, it actually really starts two weeks in advance, if that makes any sense. You know, during the, the season, I'm actually looking at forecast models that go out as far as two weeks, and you're and and we're looking for one thing, you know, a a a photographer's looking for one thing, a storm chaser's looking for one thing, and that's the increase in moisture in a region, right? So we need to see if if you know those dew points are going to start to rise in a certain area. For example, where I live in Arizona, dew points are generally, you know, relative humidity uh, is is generally extremely low. We have clear skies. Where there's zero percent chance of, of rain, probably three quarters out of the year. Or so, um, but when we start to see the the, the monsoonal 
shift in, in seasonal winds and moisture influx, that's when we start to look at dew points rising. And of course, without moisture, you don't have storms, right? So we're looking for those pattern changes. And as soon as I start to see those those pattern shifts, I start to get prepared. I start to get all of my gear ready, making sure my sensors are clean. Um, but then you really have to start nailing down the forecast. So from two weeks out up to about three days, you know, three days out, the forecasts are a lot better when you, you can mm-hmm. tell that there's going to be a chance for storms. And then you have to start to target. So targeting is the probably the hardest part because if you don't target the right area, um, you could be 200 miles away, and which has happened more often than not where I'm, I'm literally in New Mexico. I'm 200 miles away from home, and I'm getting a call from my daughter saying it's pouring rain, hmm. and it's the most beautiful storm she's ever seen. <laughs> So, you know, so, failure, failure is key. It, I, I was going to say, is, 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 is there more, is it more the case that you miss, miss the storms than you catch them? What's, what's that? Like, is it, I guess you'd have to be accepting a failure, but does it happen often or are you pretty, gotten pretty good at nailing those down? You know, uh, with, with more experience, I, I really am, I, I'm really proud of myself for, being a much better targeter, being a target a storm, target an area. Like my friend John says, you know, you don't need to find your seat. You just need to get to the ballpark, right? When it comes to storm chasing, once you get to the ballpark, you can find your seat. I, I love that analogy mm. because if I can just get to the right area, I can I can adjust, you know, by driving 60 miles here or there and, and really hone in on, on what's happening in the atmosphere at that point. But yeah, there, there is a ton of failure it happens because nature is going to do what nature wants. It can, the weather can call for a hundred percent chance of rain be sitting under blue skies on some days. So yeah. we still haven't accurately been able to figure out how and when and where it's going to happen. So, you know, the best thing that we can do is target and show up and uh, you, you just have to take the chance. If there's a chance for it, I'm going to be out. So the tenacity is is a lot more uh, important in getting after a storm than being able to accurately predict the weather. It's interesting. You said earlier that you're an an adrenaline junkie, and I can just imagine. I mean, I can just picture that that excitement of you know seeing that weather system develop and and getting out there and and chasing it down. But you must you must just have to sort of drop everything right to to get out and and to do this kind of work yeah you absolutely need to you need to dedicate the entire day or in in my when it comes to chasing for me you know there's really only a few months that i am able to chase the monsoon happens between july august and sometimes into september and a little bit into october so that's really my window to capture everything right and of course i can shoot astrophotography i can shoot all sorts of other things um and do a lot of other 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 ideas but at the same time for me getting after a storm i have such a limited window so my my wife is really good about knowing that i will wake up and i'll be out of the house and won't come home sometimes till 10 12 in the morning maybe two or three in the morning Mm -hmm. depending on how far out i go or some nights I will just literally either car camp yeah. or find a hotel just because I'm too far away. I'm I'm 
seven, eight hours away from home. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. And you touched on something there. What What are your, because obviously, you know, you're, you're taking some safety precautions, but what do you, what do you do to make sure, you know, you're not, I mean, obviously you're, it's risky in in a in a way, but you must. There must be some safety protocols you have in place for for this type of work. You know, there really is, and there's no use going out and risking a lot if I can't come out to do it again. If I can't get home at the end of the day to the people I love, mm-hmm. um, I, I have I have kids. I have I have my wife. I have mm-hmm. my mother who still lives with us, <clears throat> and you know. There, there's no point in getting after it if I'm going to come home uh, or if I'm not going to make it back. So safety is, is a huge priority f- for me. Um, being able to safely maneuver around a storm is extremely important. I do simple things like even if I drive down, a, you know, down a dirt road where I'm, I'm off of the highway, uh, if I know that those washes are going to fill quickly during a huge storm, Mm-hmm. Um, flash flooding in the West is actually the number one killer. It's not lightning, it's hmm. not tornadoes, it's flash flooding. And uh, n- of course, next to uh, heat, right? Heat related illnesses right. here in Arizona. Yeah. But in, during the, you know, during the storm season, it's the flash floods that kill people here all the time because hmm. people think, oh, I can make it. The water's barely flowing. Then they get swept in, you know, swept, swept into a wash or a ravine and they're done for. They, they can't get out of the car yeah. Or, you know, there's there's a lot of tragedy around that. So for me, I don't want to be around when those floods are going to come in. So I actually point my car. I will actually make sure that I am ready to get the hell out of Dodge because mm-hmm. I try and stay up to the last minute, last second, if I'm able to, 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 to really capture and harness that power of the storm. Um, and, and so safety is paramount. Um, the one thing that people ask me is, well, are, am I afraid of, of getting struck by lightning? Well, I've been struck by lightning. I wasn't a storm chaser at the time. Um, it was back in 2001. But now it's not the lightning that I'm scared most about. Um, and, and you can mitigate that risk, right? You can still set up your tripods and you can always get back in your car. You can stay in your car and let the cameras do the work ultimately to avoid getting struck. Um, but it, the number one danger is not the lightning or the storm. It's usually other people on the road, and that's what scares me the most. So I have to try and stay away from people during heavy, severe war and storms, um, just because it, it it just everybody goes crazy when right. it's raining on the highway. So my biggest fear is actually getting into an accident. So I try to play it safe, make sure you know, make sure my my car is in great shape to get me to the storm and back. But yeah. e- even then I have to, I just feel like I have to be more cognizant of the people around me. So there's a couple of things I want to touch on there. One is the fact that you very nonchalantly said, Oh yeah, I've been struck by lightning. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, that I, did, did you want to talk about that? Because I mean, that's not something you oh, hear. That's you know, not something you hear every day. Especially for someone who actually chases lightning. I get it. I get it. That's, it's almost like I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, trying to, to wager uh, my bet against God again or something or nature again. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it was back in 2001. I was I was working for a company and um, I was standing outside of a vehicle, somebody else's vehicle who had parked on 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 a bridge and I didn't know where he had gone. So I went to go check it out. I got out of my own vehicle to check. And there's this company vehicle sitting in the middle of nowhere. Right. Just and it was running. <laughs> he left the vehicle running. 
So anybody could have just gotten in and driven away. Hmm. And I'm, I was just flabbergasted. I couldn't see anybody. And I was trying to figure out who the hell would just abandon their car like this on the side of the road. Um, and then it started to sprinkle. And, and before I realized it, um, this big flat, it turned out he, he was, he ran underneath the bridge to go to the bathroom. That's how silly <laughs> this is, is that he really had to take care of business. So, um, he was over a bridge. So he just got out and ran underneath. <clears throat> but so I, I, I was standing outside of this vehicle. Um, I'm holding on to that, that mobile radio that the, you know, the, the, the car radio that the, the company uses to communicate and I'm trying to contact them as to who's driving this vehicle. So the third time that I go to key the microphone, um, there's just this big, bright, purplish white light that just filled me like uh, like an alien, you know, was abducting, mm -hmm. like a spaceship was going to abduct me, just this bright white consumed me. Uh, all of the muscles in my body constricted. And I just remember hearing a grunt out of my body. Like, you know, it was this weirdest sounding grunt um, as my body was just filled with electricity hmm. and then it was gone. And the instant clap of, of thunder uh, was so loud that it was, um, I'd never heard something like that before. And I just remember thinking that that was close. And then, and then I'm completely out for a minute. I have no idea what's going on. Next thing I remember is that guy is now yelling at me and I am completely covered in rain. I'm looking down and it is pouring rain. And there were a couple of other people in the car that I was driving, the company car, and they didn't get out, but they watched what happened. They saw me get struck by lightning. And when I got back to the vehicle, um, they're like, we just we just saw you get struck by lightning. And I'm like, no way. I'm standing here. I'm alive. What are you talking about? And they were just, they went back in and told everybody, called me the called me the miracle kid, you know, and I ended up, you know, my boss said, oh, you better go get checked out. So I did. I went to the hospital and I got I got looked at by the doctor and he basically told me, well, with lightning strike victims, you're either dead or you're alive. So congratulations, you made it. Um, but the one thing that he didn't tell me is that um, I that I was going to have severe short term memory loss. So I can I can literally uh, put my keys down on a table and two seconds later look at someone going, where the hell are my keys, which is. You know, just a terrible feeling, yeah. but I've learned to overcome it. You know, you, you, you learn to um, you, you learn to do what you need to do so that you can remember those type of things. But yeah. it is a, a definite thing that happens to people who survive uh, lightning strikes. Hmm. The other thing you talked about was you mentioned, you know, sometimes you know, putting your, your camera up and letting you going back to the car and letting your camera do the work. What, what kind of gear are you using when you're out uh, photographing and, and chasing storms? Sure. Well, you're going to want, definitely want a camera that can that can stand, you know, getting a lot of dirt on it. A lot of it, it needs to be able to to brave the storm, brave the elements, brave. Uh, it needs to be weather sealed to a degree. Mm -hmm. uh, when I first started out, I was using I was shooting Canon, a Canon 5D Mark III and a Canon 6D, and the, the 5D Mark III I could leave that thing out in a rainstorm. I really believed that that thing was a tank. Mm -hmm. uh, I watched it get completely soaked because I couldn't get to it. And when I finally did, I just wiped it down and it, it just powered through. It was amazing. Hmm. I've since switched since I've, I've since switched to the Sony system and, and I, I love my Sony cameras. 
Um, I started off with an A7R3, so the weather ceiling's not as good. Right. So as soon as it starts to rain, I'm, I'm pretty quick to take it down. Yeah. Um, but I do have a Sony A1, which I have had no issues. I, I've let that thing just get drenched also. Um, I have a Sony A1 and the A7S3 and A7 III, and I still have the A7R3. And there is a reason for that, by the way, when people think that I'm I'm doing overkill <laughs> with all that gear. First of all, I still use it for weddings, of course. Yeah. Um, and you need that redundancy, first of all. If you're going to be a wedding photographer, yep. you can't mess that up, right? Right. Um, but there's also the fact that I'm shooting time lapses, and so I like to shoot two cameras. Um, I will have one camera zoomed in on you know, a peak where the clouds are doing something, and then I'll have another camera running a time lapse that's trying to capture the entirety of the storm. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I'm running two cameras to try and capture lightning either up close, zoomed in, or, again, wide, trying to capture the full bolt from the top of the cloud to the ground. So there's a purpose. You know, I'm very purposeful when I'm out there chasing yeah. with my gear. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, can we talk a little bit about um, yourself as a, as, a, as a person? So, Lori, uh -huh. you're, you're, you're a trans woman, and I think that... It would be interesting if you can share a little bit about your experience, um, you know, as a trans woman and, and, you know, has that, has that impacted anything with, with the work you do, I guess, as a photographer? Uh, do you want to get into that a little bit? Absolutely. I, I, I like to, to tell people that um, before I transitioned, it was, life was really a struggle for me mm -hmm. um, without going into a three hour, uh, you know, biopic when I transitioned, when I finally, I, I talked with my wife and we, of course, we had a lot of heart to hearts and it was, it was a very difficult time, of course, but when, when we got through it together, when we finally got through to the other side, I like to tell the world that for me, it was as if I was looking through the, looking at the world in black and white until I was 38. And when the transition process was complete, it was, it was literally as if, I, I was watching the world through technicolor eyes is the best way that I, I like to describe it mm -hmm. because I, I, like, I, I would literally pull over the side of the highway and see a, a bunch of blue bonnets on the side of the road. And now I'd pull over and I'd go look at these things like, what? It, I never knew these were here all of this other time. And now it's like everything I'm looking at is vibrant and I have to capture that. And so, you know, that gear, seeing the storms, I want to be able to, to now, you know, turn those, turn that what I see, and I want to be able to capture that and present that to the world through my photography. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that, that, that technicolor eyes that I'm looking through is translated into the image that I'm capturing and projecting on, on Twitter or wherever it is I'm sharing. So that, that is what I'm trying to capture. And and show because I really have seen that in the transition process, I, I, I don't want to waste any more time not living an extraordinary life. You know, I want to capture scenes that are extraordinary. And I, I want to, as uh, Robin Williams was stated in Dead Poets Society, you know, I, I want to suck the marrow out of life. And it, it's just been something that's been my passion. And I use the term passion. My first collection on OpenSea was called The Passionate Pursuit. Yeah. And so I'm very methodical, even in the title and the usage of words um, and how I convey my images through words. 
That's incredible. And, and you, you talked about open sea there. And so for people listening, um, that may not know that, um, of course you're, you're spending a lot of time, you know, elevating artists, uh, in the, um, NFT world, um, uh, and specifically, mm-hmm. um, women's voices and, um, LGBTQ, um, uh, voices and other marginalized groups. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's something really important that you're doing, which, you know, relates to the photography industry. Yeah. You know, Sean, I, I really do. I, I, I jumped into crypto, you know, testing the waters with crypto because I saw some friends using the apps and, and whatnot mm-hmm. um, a couple of years ago. And so I started dabbling into it just a little bit, putting a little bit of money here and there into into Bitcoin and Dogecoin and, mm-hmm. and having fun with that. So for me, jumping, taking that next uh that next jump into NFTs was kind of an, an easy skip, hop and a skip for me. Yeah. Um, so when I saw other friends, other storm chasers uh, jumping into NFTs, um, it wasn't as uh, far-fetched an idea for me. So I jumped in around June, July. I started really looking into it. And by August, I dropped a couple of pieces on Foundation. And they sold they sold out very quickly, or the, those pieces sold on Foundation pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was preparing just listening, trying to grow the community. And I was preparing um, my collection. I really took my time. I dropped the collection in October, at the end of October, and it finally sold through December. But what I did notice is that Web3 is still a very heavily, a kind of a, a place where mostly men are in all of the rooms. And there's not, a, there, 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 there aren't a lot of women or you know, LGBTQ folks in a lot of these spaces. Um, and I will say that the spaces that I found, there are so many amazing, especially in the photography space, so many welcoming, uh, affirming men who are, are just so open and willing to hold space for women, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to do that. I felt so comfortable in many spaces, but I still also felt the need that, that there were a lot of women who were in spaces that they just did not feel valued. So I just started to host spaces that were focused on emphasizing and elevating women because mm-hmm. even in the top, you know, when you're looking at the statistics, there are, are not a lot of women artists, especially women photographers who are at the top of these, of these lists in as far as NFT sales. Uh, so I just wanted to start taking time to elevate other women artists in this space so that hopefully we can close the, the gender gap there and, um, and actually showcase there is some really amazing work being done by women out there and non-binary artists. And I want to make sure that they also get their turn in the light. So that's what I've been doing lately is hosting spaces, elevating women, um, focusing on women, non-binary artists, other trans folks like myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just want to make sure that, that we have an opportunity also. I don't use the term seat, taking a seat at the table because that implies that um, we're, we're trying to, to get a piece of that. And, I, I would rather say that Web3 affords us an opportunity to to fly over the table because hmm. I don't want to be I don't want to be limited by that and I think that Web3 NFTs really does free anybody with with the wherewithal and the motivation to to uh, you know to become an artist and to put their art out there anybody can do it and it's just a matter of of doing the right things and being bullish on yourself so that's what I'm committed to. That's so wonderful, Lori. 
what do you what do you have coming up? I'd like I'd love to hear about some of your your upcoming projects. What what do you what do you have planned for the next the next few months or the next year? Well, the, the first thing that I've been doing lately, I've been collaborating with a few different people on some on some projects because I still have I still have quite a bit of content that I want to release that I've been holding back, you know, to the world from the world, and I can't wait to to, to share uh, these projects with people. Um, I'm also collaborating though with with other artists. Um, I've been I released a collection on Foundation recently of time lapse images, and several of, or a couple of the pieces I've collaborated with a friend uh, Ines Lobo. She is a a a, uh, a musician, and so I we collaborated where some of her music is actually in these time lapse sequences, and it was such a fit, and and I I'm just so excited to do that. One of those pieces that we collaborated on actually sold yesterday uh, for two ETH on Foundation. And the, the collector, yeah, the, and the collector messaged me saying that he really, really resonated and he loved, he, he thought it was such a perfect collaboration that the music just fit the piece so well. And it was actually a sandstorm, a haboob that we call them, um, piece that he just loved seeing. And it reminded him of some of the days when he was out in this neck of the woods seeing those giant storms. So, you know, the music is really an important thing. Audio is so important to video. So yeah. uh, I was just really glad to be able to do that and to collaborate. I've also collaborated with other poets, and I'm going to be doing more of that. And um, But in addition to that, what I plan on doing is, because up until now, my photography was focused on being behind the being behind the camera, right? But a lot of people in NFTs and, and to be able to show others, I, I really think that collectors and, and people who are looking at storm chasers, it's really difficult to see what we have to go through to capture these images because one of my shots isn't the same as, you know, a, a shot that someone does um, in another kind of landscape, maybe a waterfall or street photography. It's mm -hmm. a very different thing. Each one of those has its challenges. But the fact that what I do, I really need to make sure this year, I really want to make sure that I can show, you know, show not to tell, right? I want to be able mm -hmm. to show people. So I'm going to try to be doing a lot more behind the scenes stuff this year. Also, it's going to be a challenge because we're trying to save our, our butts from getting hurt by a storm. <laughs> yeah. But I am going to try and make that added effort. I think that more people will be able to appreciate that if, if they can not only see what I'm capturing, but they can see what's going on behind the scenes to understand just how difficult it is to do what we do. That's incredible. Laurie, I'm so excited to see what you have coming coming up in the future. I mean, your work uh, is, is completely inspiring and the community building and, and those those efforts you're making in that regard are, are just wonderful. So it was Truly an honor, Lori, to to have you uh, on the podcast and to share your story with us today. So I just wanted to say thanks and wish you all the best. Thank you for having me, Sean. This has been a this has been a fun time. I always love sharing sharing how beautiful our skies are. Uh, thank you so much. Take care, Lori. Thanks so much for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Lori Grace Bailey please check out the links in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Please be sure to leave us a review wherever you listen as it helps others discover our show. Thanks again. Until next time.